Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome out. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, please come say hello after. Or if we have met, we can we can meet again and talk. Um, we're going to be in the book of Romans today. Uh, if you want to uh, go ahead and turn there, we'll get there in just a little bit. Um, we're continuing in our series in the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 2. And those of you who have been here so far or are familiar with um, the book of Romans, you, uh, you may realize that in the first chapter where we've been, we'll start chapter 2 today, like I said, in the first chapter where we've been, man, it's like um, uh, God pronouncing judgment on, every, on everyone. Uh, difficult to preach, difficult to hear, uh, but here we are. And so today, this morning, we're going to be asking an, an appropriate question that God is going to address in our passage, and that is, who's to judge? Who's to judge? Um, to get us in the right frame of mind, I'm going to point you to, remind you to a question that was asked way back in Genesis chapter 18. Um, it, was, it was a question asked of God. And those of you who were part of our Genesis study may remember this. But in the context, God is about to bring judgment on a city. And Abraham, the founder of the Hebrew people, is asking God to spare the city if he can find a remnant of righteous people. Right? So God and Abraham go back and forth. And they're negotiating, and God agrees that if, if you could just find 10 good people found in a city of thousands of people, that the entire city would be spared. And, and in Genesis 18, 25, we read this from the lips of Abraham. He says, he's talking to God, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Well, that's, that's our question for today, right? That's what we're looking to do. And I suppose it's a, it's a great question. I mean, after all, if, if God is the very grounding of our definition of good, like if we're looking for some standard that's not just up to me or up to you, we've got to find an objective standard. The only objective standard is God who does not change. Then... Um, I think it's a fine question to ask, and maybe we could spend more time about it in our MCs this week, Bishop Communities. Now, we're not going to be in there this week. We'll be serving with Nancy at Transformation Village. Following week, we could follow up. But Abraham is saying that surely, if there's any righteousness to be found, if there's any good, sound judgment, it would be found in God. And I would say, amen, I would agree to that, so be it. Um, but those of you who are familiar with history know what happened to this city. It's a, it's a wasteland to today. Nothing can even grow there. Nothing lives there. And so God ended up passing judgment. And that brings us to our study today, where we are in Romans. And I want us to remember the context again from last week so that we can appreciate where we are this week. Here, Paul is... Uh, we're, so we're going to back up to chapter 1 for just a minute. Uh, Paul is addressing the church in Rome, and he describes contemporary rebels... To God, And what he says is they, they've rejected what they know about God. They chose to follow their own selves. And God essentially says, okay, fine, I'll give you what you want. Have it your way, right? And so then we read that there are results 
of what happens when God leaves us to our own devices. And that's in uh, Romans 1, 28. I want us to read that, uh, that to the end, and then we'll pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. So Romans 1, 28 begins, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Remember God said, pause. Remember God has said, okay, fine. Uh, you, you don't want me. You want to call your own shots, have it your way. So he says, okay, go do that. Verse 29, they were filled then with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, so let's pause again for a second. Um, most of us are probably hit in that list somewhere, right? Have, have, we, have we ever coveted someone else's thing? Have we uh, practiced unrighteousness? Have we envied? Have we hated someone? Jesus equates that with murder. Have we had strife? Have we been deceitful? Have we gossiped? Have we slandered? Have we been boastful and prideful or uh, disobedient to parents? Well, I could check the boxes. I don't, I don't know about you guys. That's what I was saying like in Romans 1, Paul's like, okay, every, everyone's guilty, right? And it's like heavy. I was telling someone before the service, like this chapter is like getting get punched in the face, man. Um, but that's our context. That's, that's where we are. Um, and so we're going to find ourselves in chapter 2 today. And I'm just going to walk through in the book of Nehemiah. It talks about the, how they would just read the scripture and, and explain it. And read the scripture. And that's all we're going to do. There's no fancy outline you can see on your outline today. It's like blank. There's no boxes to fill in. Uh, but hopefully there'll be some things that you find, uh, maybe nuggets to, to, that stick in here that you want to think about more. So let's just read. We're going to walk through chapter two, the first part of it together. Let's just begin in the first verse of chapter two. Paul says, because of those things, because you've chosen to reject God, therefore he said, fine, have it your way. And then the result has been of our way, envy and strife and deceit and maliciousness, those, those things. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Okay, we'll stop there for now. This is, uh, there's a chapter break between one and two, but I think it should continue. It's, it's the continuation of a thought. So notice that Paul in chapter one was like they, right? They've done this, they've, they've rejected God, God left them up to their own devices, that sort of thing. In chapter two, he kind of narrows focus and says you, <laughs> notice, right? Um, he went from saying they are those rebels to talking to you, me, us, rebels. Um, which is an interesting thing. Um, we, we talked about it in missional community this past week, how if we're not careful, we can read these chapters in Romans in like an academic or like distant or third-party kind of way, like, yeah, th those rebels, you know, 2,000 years ago in Rome, etc. Without seeing that because God has written a book for us and, and preserved this for us, He's communicating it to us, and we need to take it on a, on a personal level. Um, so let me say today, if I never want to assume that everyone is a, is a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, welcome. It's, it's awesome. You're going to get like an inside look 
uh, into some of the things that Christianity is about. Um, but if, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you may have one, of, one or two thoughts in your mind. You may be um, offended at the idea that when you look around in the world and you see haters of God and insolent people and haughty people and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and to realize that what the Bible is saying is it's, it's lumping us in, into those categories, that may be offensive to you, right? It may be like, well, I know there's evil out there. I'm not so sure about evil in in here, and that's kind of the world is made up of people, and I am a people, <laughs> and uh, so the world's problems are in part because of me. Um, or you may be thinking like, man, you know, these, uh, these Bible thumper, religious type people, um, this, they're, they're making too much of these things, of what these things happening around us. You know, what they call sin is just people, man, being them, you know, uh, you know, the culture says, do you, right? Um, follow your heart, that sort of thing. Um, or you might just say, you know what, I, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm, I'm just trying to live my best life, be the best version of myself, and I, and I don't judge other people. Um, if, if those are some thoughts in your mind, and you might be a follower of Jesus and those are some of your thoughts, um, let me encourage you to not be closed-minded this morning, be open-minded, and consider that what God is saying here through our text today is that He's taking the opposite position of that. He's saying that we all do these things and we all judge one another because of them. And even though we do these things and judge one another because of them, we're, we're, guilty, <laughs> we're guilty too. So we're, we're guilty people judging guilty people, like up on our haughty high horse, right? Um, that's what God is saying. Um, so let's, let's just think about this together this morning. Do, do some, some mental math with me. This is going to, again, require you to be uh, kind of pause and be, let's just be honest. Nobody can see inside your head or your soul or know what's going on. Just, just be honest with, with ourselves this morning. Have you ever felt a twinge in your soul when you do something and you instantly know that it's wrong and you shouldn't do it and then almost instantaneously, you find a way to somehow justify doing that thing in your mind or explain it away or explain away that guilt feeling that you have. And maybe you do so just long enough so that if you hurry up and do the sin, then you can like kind of not have to listen to your conscience and deaden that. Is it just me that's ever done that? Anybody done that besides me? Thank you for your honesty. I feel like exposed up here. I've, I do these things. So, um, yeah, we, we, we do that. And then after we do that, after we kind of push our, that, that twinge in our soul aside to justify and, and quickly do what we're going to do, do you know the next time we come, to, we come to that decision, it's easier to make that decision to squelch our conscience? Do you know, you know that pattern? I, I know that pattern. Um, and then, then after time, after repeatedly quenching our own conscience, that sinful thing becomes normal to us. We don't get the twinge in our conscience anymore. We've like stamped it out, right? We've deadened our own conscience. And so now it's no, it's no big deal. This, this sinful thing, I used to feel, um, you know, this, this twinge of guilt. I don't really feel it anymore. So it must not have been that bad. But it's been a process of self-deadening, you know. Um, it's, it's not just me. 
right? We, we, we've, all, we've all done this. So um, that, that's where we are. Maybe, um, you know, you, you might look around in the world and see, if, if you don't recognize those things in your own heart, maybe you at least look around in the world and see brokenness in the world. Can we all agree on that? And we look around, people hurt each other, man. People are cruel. People are, we would say people are people. <laughs> right? Man, they're beautiful and, and awesome in some ways, but in some ways, man, we're not beautiful and awesome. Uh, we're like, a, I heard a, somebody give an analogy one time. I'm dating myself here, but if you're old like me, you can remember when you used to take uh, photographs on a thing called film. You guys remember this, right? And so when you took a picture, you had to move the film or crank it or whatever over so that you didn't take a picture on top of the picture you just took. You got anybody remember that? Right? Thank you. Yeah. And so what we are as human beings are we are we are double exposures. We have the image of God upon us, which is beautiful and good and, and awesome. It's still there, but it's been like marred or placed over with our fallenness, our rebellion toward God. So we we're, we're kind of both. We're a mixed bag. We are Capable of beautiful and good things, but man, at like like at, at the foundational level, we're we're kind of smeared, <laughs> you know, we're kind of smeared. So, um, how could it be then if um, if 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 people are kind of good, um, how can we look around and see this um, evil around us? Well, again, in chapter one, where we just reviewed, it said because people know who God is. Like innately, we have this sense of there's kind of a moral law. You don't have to teach kids to do the wrong thing, right? They just do it. They try to hide it. Like, why do kids know how to like lie so early? Why do they deny what they just did that was wrong? Why? You don't have to teach them that, right? That's just kind of kind of what they do. And it says this is because mankind has rejected God, what we knew about God, and because we um, our, our deeds are sinful, we suppress the truth. And that's why our culture looks the way it does. That's why our own hearts look the way we do when we look inwardly sometimes. We're like, er, I don't like that in me. Well, um, there, there's a reason. It's, it's good that you don't like that. So, so lean into that. Um, so the reason I backed up to chapter one is to set that context this week. And you'll see as we go forward in the series that things kind of overlap. It's because we're reading one letter, right? Paul wrote one letter to the Romans and he's building a case He's building a theological case for the good news that Jesus died to pay for our sins and that it's for everyone, right? Paul's building a case for that. And um, so you're going to see some overlap. So when you hear repetition, don't check out, check in and, and ask, why would God repeat this? Right? Like, what's he trying to show me? Um, where's this line of reasoning going, right? Reason, God tells us, Come, uh, he told the prophet, come let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be made white as snow. So where, where's God reasoning me to? And what does God want to do in me through these passages? There's some good things for us to ask. So back to our passage, um, I just want to point out that there's one big elephant in the room um, from last week till now, and including now, um, that you may have asked, and if we were doing MCs, we would t- certainly talk about it. But it would, say, it would be that what about people who have never heard about Jesus? Or they, they don't have one of these. They don't have a Bible. How, how can they know? It says that they know God. 
but they've rejected God. They, they, the, the, they know the law, but they've rejected the law. How? If they, if they don't have one of these. If they've never heard one of these. And there's a, a lot to unpack there. Um, and again, we could do it. Uh, we can do it after the service if, if you want. Um, but how can someone be condemned before God, everybody under this judgment that Paul's talking about, if they've never heard about Jesus? So I want us to see something really important and be careful with it this morning. I want you to follow uh, some logic here with me because I think if we ask that question, it's because we've, we've missed something. There's a, there's a, um, there's a, a failure to accept people know. Hmm, lightning, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll keep going. Um, so Paul says, people have rejected God and the truth about him, and thus the truth about themselves. If we don't know who God is, we don't know what it means to be human. Um, it says God that has put, in Romans chapter 1, God has put those things around us and even in us via our conscience. Those things in us are witness about God himself, and they're available to every single human being. Paul makes that very clear. Therefore, they, will, they and we will be judged on the basis of violating our own conscience. If you're a note taker, write that down. This may sound strange to you. Hang in there with me. We'll be judged on the basis of violating our own conscience. Do you ever violate your own conscience? Just think about that for just a minute. One of the greatest uh, Christian thinkers of, of modern times, Francis Schaeffer, whose study of Romans was a major source for me today in preparing this message. He says it this way, and I think it's a powerful analogy. Follow along with me. He says, when those without a Bible appear before God, he will ask them one thing. Have you kept the moral standards you've used to judge others? It is as if each of us were born with a small tape recorder around our neck. MP3 player, whatever, kids. Uh, tape recorder around our neck. And that tape recorder records all our moral judgments against others. He is wrong. She is wrong. He is wrong throughout our whole life. Then at the final judgment, God simply plays the tape back. And we hear in our own voice the moral judgments we have made. And God asks, have you kept those standards yourself? Obviously, we would have to answer no. There have been ample occasions in each of our lives when we have deliberately chosen to do something we knew to be wrong. And even if God erased from the tape all the situations where we could offer a logical excuse for our actions, He would still be justified in judging us for the times we have deliberately done wrong. Now let's, let's pick up in, in, uh, in uh, Romans here, and we'll, we'll read verse two or verse 1 through 3. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves. This is what Schaefer's saying, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? This is powerful stuff. Let's stop there for now, right? Um, he says, you have no excuse. Now, people will offer usually one of two objections. You might say, well, I, you know, I might be a sinner, um, but I'm better than most people. Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. And this is what happens when we reject the vertical standard of God, 
right? God's standard for us. And we go to a horizontal standard where we're judging ourselves by one another. And, and what we tend to do is look for the, the lowest common denominator and say, well, I'm better than that person. So I must be, or at least we look for people who are low, quote unquote, lower than us on the moral scale and we say, well, at least I'm better than that person. And that becomes our standard. Therefore, we're pretty good, right? That, that's, that's how we do that. And we judge ourselves not by God's standards, again, but by the lowest common denominator. I think this is part of the draw. We watch people do like just debauched, idiotic things on TV. Uh, you know, the, the Bachelor, the Bachelorette, whatever. Don't throw stones at me. Right? We, we know, we, we know, we know what they, we know that stuff. Whatever people are doing on TikTok, I have no idea. I hear it's pretty bad, you know. But it makes us feel better about ourselves, doesn't it? It's like guilty pleasure. We could watch those things. Look, look at that. Wow, man. I can't believe she did that to whatever the, the bachelor's name is. I can't believe she did that. And, you know, she's, you know, she's, a, we wouldn't use the word debauch, but she's a really bad person and that sort of thing. Um, it makes us feel better about ourselves. And because of that, perhaps subconsciously, we're condoning what they're doing because we're using it for our entertainment, aren't we? So in a sense, we're condoning what they're doing precisely because, or as Paul says in chapter 1. So on the other hand, someone might say, well, I may be a sinner, but at heart, in the end, I'm a pretty good person, like, in, like my intentions are good. And so surely... God wouldn't condemn me. Again, so in this scenario, we've rejected God's vertical standard, and now we're not even using the horizontal standard. We're using an inward standard. So now we're not even judging ourselves by one another. We're judging ourselves by ourselves, right? I, uh, that sounds nonsensical, and indeed it is, right? But that, in my experience, this is the most common view. We, we, our standard for living is the one we have in our own heads, right? Uh, I remember an illustration one time of an airplane pilot who refused to use his, his navigation tools and wouldn't even call into the tower. He said to himself, you know what? I'm, I'm flying this plane and I've got these two lights. I've got a light on the end of this wing and a light on the end of that wing. And as long as I'm between these two lights, I know exactly where I am and where I'm going. You see the problem. You, you, see, you see the problem. Um, that's ridiculous. But this is what happens when we follow our hearts. We be our own guides. We become our own heroes sort, sort of thing. Um, so when we judge ourselves by ourselves, by our own standards, per, um, professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools. It's a foolish it's a foolish thing. Um, so if, if that's so obviously ridiculous, why do we do it? Why do we, why do we do that? Why do we even subconsciously reject God's opinions on our sin and instead either judge ourselves by the lowest common denominator around us or simply look into ourselves and find a standard that, that suits us and use that? Well, follow the math with me again. Uh, let's be brave enough to be honest with ourselves today. I think it's because we know, if we're honest, we can't possibly live up to God's standard. And if I, if I can't live up to God's standard, then I'm in big trouble. And if I'm in big trouble, I need a Savior. 
And since there's only one Savior, Jesus, He must not only be my Savior, but He must also be my Lord. He's God in the flesh. And if He's my Lord, He's going to tell me what to do, and that's what I'm trying to avoid in the first place. Right? That's what I'm trying to I don't want to be told what to do and what not to do. I don't like authority. Well, if God is who God is, who's the greatest authority? God. So the fact of the matter is that we're not to judge one another, and we're not even to judge ourselves. God has placed His objective standard within our hearts. I want you to hear Schaefer again on the undeniable reality of this. He, he specifically addresses our question about those who have never heard the good news about Jesus or maybe don't even have the written law of God. He says, Each human being has a moral imperative within. Each human being knows the judgment of God. He references chapter 32, verse 1. As soon as a child feels the pang of conscience, struggles against it, and sins, he has acknowledged that there is a meaningful moral law in the universe. As soon as he says, I ought to do this, but then does the opposite instead, he acknowledges a moral law. Numerous modern thinkers, psychologists, anthropologists, sociologists, have tried to explain away this moral imperative, and yet all of them have felt the twinge of their own conscience. It's just like a pinched nerve. Their conscience has warned them not to do so many of the things they've done. And based on this innate sense of right and wrong, people without the Bible judge others, right? Romans 2 verse 1 we just read. And in the process, judge themselves as well because they, quote, do the same things. God's judgment against them is totally just. For it is based not on, hear this, it is based not on things that they don't know, but on standards of right and wrong they know well and that they use to judge others. Therefore, it is a judgment on the basis of what a person knows, not on the basis of what he does not know. There's nothing arbitrary, right? There's nothing arbitrary. So, you know, even when we try to set up our own system of morality in our own hearts, our own minds, it's, it's, a, it's a flawed, it's a watered-down reflection of God's real morality and what He's put in our hearts, but, but we've, we've like warped God's standard. We've kind of cut it off to shape something that fits like what we would prefer. Uh, but let's, again, be honest with ourselves. Just ask yourself this morning, do I constantly live up to even my own rules for myself? Just, just ask, do I constantly live up to my... Ask, are, am I always kind? Am I always patient? Do I ever lose my temper? Do I ever act selfishly? Do I ever mistreat those around me? Do I ever lie? Do I ever lie to myself? <laughs> right? So we can see we, we don't live up to our own rules, do we? Can we be honest? We don't even live up. That's what God's saying. We don't even live up to those. So we've really played the fool. And this is part of what Paul says back in verse 1. He says, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, Practice the very same things, right? 
So this brings us to our next section. I told you we're just going to uh, kind of walk through this morning. Verses 4 through 6. Paul says, Or do you presume on the riches of His, uh, God's, kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. So, so what's, what's Paul, let's pause there. What's Paul saying here? Um, while we're having some internal reflection, uh, have you ever thought in your heart and asked something like this? Well, God must not be too upset with this thing I've been doing because you know, my conscience has been bothering me about it, but here I am. And God hasn't like passed judgment on me yet. I mean, I'm doing pretty okay. I haven't seen any like consequences of, of those things. And so that's what Paul is addressing here. And we need to be really careful and mindful that the fact that we haven't like been obliterated or, or you know, like received the, the due penalty for our rebellion and that sort of thing is not because God is uh, stupid or weak, right? It's because He's kind. Because He's patient. Um, it's because of the Lord's kindness. Um, you know, in some ways, we not only take His kindness for granted, but we kind of despise His kindness, don't we? If we're, if we're honest, we see God's kindness um, and we think everything's all right. If you've ever read The, the Portrait of Dorian Gray, uh, you, you look at yourself outwardly, I look good, doing good, man. I, I, life's okay. But inwardly, there's decay. Inwardly is affecting us as human beings. Inwardly, it's affecting our relationship with God. We Again, we mistake God's kindness for either agreement with our sin or He's weak. And God is neither of those. You know, we, we, we smell the flowers, we feel the sun on our face, and we assume that God's wrath isn't upon us. I want you, I want you to hear me in love. It's definitely where it's coming from, but God's kindness, man, is meant to lead us to repentance. He's, he's trying to save us from ourselves. But it's our subjective self-righteousness that makes us cause God's kindness to lead us to destruction. Look at verse 5 again. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will, will be revealed. You know, Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 6 about storing up treasures in heaven. Here, Paul is talking about storing up another kind of treasure. This is not the treasure of heaven. This is treasures of, so to speak, of God's wrath. And if you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, we all need to realize this, that even if we don't see the consequences of our choices now, um, they will have consequences in eternity. You know, our, our lives do not um, last only from our physical birth to our physical death. Life does not end when we die, right? Uh, we are either laying up good treasures in heaven or we are treasuring up the horrible treasures of God's wrath. And Paul says in verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. And so just let's pause there just so we're on the same page with Paul. 
He's not talking about you being saved by doing good things. You being right with God based on the good things that you can do. Um, where if you do enough good to outweigh your bad, then you're good to go. That's impossible to do, right? Uh, that's impossible to do. But to par- paraphrase Schaefer, he says, we are dealing with a God who is really there. And he will deal with us as we truly are. And what we really believe shows ourselves in our works. Verse 6 says that he will render to each according to his works. Then going to continue in verse 7 and 8. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. See that? We don't earn eternal life. He gives it. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Here's that word again, wrath. Um, One of the fundamental questions um, we asked, I keep referring to our, MC was really good last week. I felt like Doug. Um, One of the questions we asked ourselves was, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus and you read these passages about people being under the wrath of God, what does it do to your heart? How does it make you feel? This is a real question. When, When I look around and see the people around me and think, man, they are either storing up treasures in heaven right now or they're storing up wrath. What does that do? When you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm either storing up treasures in heaven or I'm storing up wrath, what does that, how does that make you feel? It should break our hearts. It should break our hearts for ourselves. It should break our hearts for our neighbors and friends. Um, Why? Because it breaks God's heart. Remember the words of Scripture. The Bible is very clear about this. Look at Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Ezekiel 18, God asks, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. And again, the the words of the apostle Peter, 2 Peter 3, This is why God hasn't destroyed us yet. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. That should be our heart as well. So if you're here um, or you're watching online or listening online, you may be reading this and feeling a little bit desperate like I am, just reading it myself. I, ho- I sure hope God does something because I'm unrighteous and I'm seeing here that like I'm running out of hope. God help. That's an appropriate response because God has done something about it. We don't have to be without hope. We don't have to be under this wrath. This is great news. This is why we call it the gospel. It literally means good news. There's great news because we are fallen. Each of us, each of us, there's not a human exception, has been a rebel to God, all of us, right? We're prone to do wrong and we deliberately do wrong, right? We, by, by um, inclination and by choice. So we're all under this wrath of God. But there's salvation from that wrath and God himself is that salvation from his wrath. We'll learn more about that in next week. Uh, next week, we'll get into chapter three. But just before we close quickly, um, 
I want to turn to those of us who, like me, have a Christian background. This is really important in the passage, so if, if you've checked out, lean, lean back in with me. Um, if you have a Christian background, maybe you're familiar with your, with your Bible. Now, what you notice that God's righteousness is not hedged by our background. Okay? Um, he's not hedged by us sitting with the church folks. Look at verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Keep that in your mind. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law. See, God is not an unjust judge who prosecutes some lawbreakers and lets others walk. That's not God. That's our corrupt system. That's not God. He's not an unjust judge who winks at some sentences and then enforces others. Because he is altogether good, he will not, indeed cannot, sweep my sin and your sin under the carpet. He is good. And because he's good, he is faithful to what is good. And what is good is his own character. Therefore, God is faithful to himself. He cannot do anything else. He cannot be unfaithful because he's good. And so he will, we, we are all, whether we grew up and, and we know what this scripture says. So now we have double law, right? We've got God's law written on our hearts and we've got it in our hands. So are we under more scrutiny or less? Right? More. Right? Um, so those who don't know the law of God, we've seen that they have the law of God written on their heart, and they've rejected it. They're under God's wrath, but He offers salvation. We, uh, who, if you're like me, have grown up in the church, you know the Bible, we have that same law. We're without excuse, Paul says in chapter 1. And now we even have the written law. More scrutiny, right? We're under the wrath of God. God has offered payment for the wrath that is upon us. Let's continue. Um, I'm going to skip, uh, Georgiana, this, uh, that next Schaefer quote. I want to go to verse 14. Uh, actually, I don't. Let me read it. Y'all give me, give me just a second. Let me read this. Um, Schaefer says, this is the experience of all people. We all go through it. And I want you to see if this, if this describes you, because it describes me at times. Like the swing of a pendulum. We excuse ourselves saying, I'll get by. I mean, I'm better than others. And then whoosh, we do something really bad. We're plunged into the blackness of self-condemnation and begin accusing ourselves like a self-loathing sort of thing. Then perhaps we take a breath of fresh air or have a good cup of espresso or see someone who seems worse than us and the pendulum swings back and we begin excusing ourselves again. You know, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. I'm doing pretty well. And then all of a sudden, again, into the black. All people experience this swinging of the pendulum, excusing, accusing, excusing, accusing. We face our conscience and feel accused, and then we explain it away and feel excused. Let's read verses 14 to 16. For when Gentiles, those who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They, have, or they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. We talked about that 
while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, with Schaefer just described that, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Notice it says in verse 16 that God will specifically judge by Christ Jesus. This is the first time Paul's mentioned Jesus since back in chapter 1, verse 16. Now in chapter 2, verse 16, he returns. Well, you may say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Jesus. Well, I want you to come to grips with this reality now and not later. Um, the, the person who tries to get God, what Paul is saying here, without Jesus, the harsh reality is that when you come to meet God, you will stare into the face of the Lord Jesus. There's no getting around Jesus. This says that Jesus is the judge. Who's the judge? That's our question this morning. Jesus is the judge. I'm not your judge. Tupac said, only God can judge me. That's a scary thing because he's right. And God will judge us. His name is Jesus. Right? His name is Jesus. Thankfully, I want you to have ears to hear this this morning. The Bible tells us that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. In other words, he took all of our sin upon his body so that we, rebels, might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has, has offered a life exchange, hasn't he? His perfect life, pleasing to the Father. We know that we're not, none of us are perfect. <laughs> That's why we can't judge each other. And he's offered to put that on. It's like the judge in the courtroom has stepped down from the bench and said, I'll take their penalty. Let them go free. Jesus, the judge, is the Savior. Jesus, the judge, is the Savior. You know why I can't judge you? Because I can't save you. You know why you can't judge me? You can't save me. The real judge is the Savior. I want to close um, with a section from Paul in Romans 8. It's just, a, it's just a verse. We'll unpack it when we get there. But he says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation if you're in Jesus? None. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do you want to be free from the wrath of God? Do you want to quit falsely judging yourself and others? Do you want to like really be alive as God intended? Let the judge save you. Run to him. Run to Jesus.